Are we recording? We, we are recording. recording. Oh, wow. <laughs> we are recording on the recording of the recording. Okay, in this episode, 113, I believe. 113. 113. 113. We sit down with some of uh, people, some folks that I've known for a very long time. Shane and Kristen Goff, they're the owners of Wendell Ford here in Spokane. And some of my most favorite business owners here in Spokane. They have an absolute love and appreciation of their staff and their industry. And uh, we dig into a little bit of the specifics of that industry. And then also how, as a couple, they go back and forth running the company. Yeah, we asked some pretty difficult questions and they did a really good job of giving us some insight. They did a good job of, you know, giving us tremendous insight into the not just their industry but what they're doing within their industry to stand out mm-hmm. and why they've been such a success very much thought leaders i'd say within their industry absolutely but okay well let's so get into it episode 113 here we go i was telling lauren i showed her a picture of it and i was like doesn't this look like a boy mom car this is looks like a, a little better than a highlander <laughs> that looks not so soccer the sport is pretty cool we, you know especially depending on what you do but they have um bike racks that go inside the cargo so like oh really for like yeah. like a person like you that works downtown if you yeah. want to have your bike but you don't secure. want to wheel it into the office yeah and you don't want to leave it on the top of the car on the rack i know it's hard for you to leave i can't so, fit in many of those cars though shane yeah i, <laughs> I need full I size i've driven one i drove it to walgreens the other day and it was for just having that little motor i think it's a one seven it was pretty Peppy. Peppy. Yeah, yeah i was yeah. impressed Cool. Looks like we're recording. So All right. in the, uh, I always do the sneak recording. Yeah, Sometimes our best material is before we start. Recording. Before people know that you're actually recording, that's when they're just a like blackmail. Yeah, you're like, ha, I got that in recording. <laughs> but well, thank you guys for coming in today. I th- you got the bank of questions, so you have a general idea of how it is. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to the podcast itself at all Been beforehand. Sent I sent the wrong the one. one. I know. Did you read the first one I sent? I didn't. I, okay, I, good. <laughs> I, I read like, the first one, but before I went through it, you'd sent the second one, so I didn't remember. Oh, good. Yeah. I was like, it's like, oh, it doesn't even have Steven's bio, and it says logo, where we were putting in the logo. It was like my draft, and I was going quick. Oh, funny. <laughs> Whoops. I, but you bust me about that as well for two days. Like, I need this. And I'm like, yeah. I know, like, give me a bio. Because <laughs> he wrote a whole fluff piece about himself. I was like, how do you do that? I can talk. I can't write about myself. <laughs> <laughs> just copy and paste <laughs> copy and paste but yeah you it looks very similar to mark fuse when you read ben so just yeah it's funny yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he coached the gonzaga bulldogs that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know but you know what learn from the best i hope you're not coaching the bulldogs i've seen you shoot at basketball well i'm <laughs> secretly coaching mark fuse who's coaching the bulldogs so that's why they've been winning so much lately and they're undefeated right, right. doing good yeah doing good but Okay, well, thank you guys for listening today. This is Ordinary Extraordinary. I'm Ben Clunt. This is my Scottish friend, Stephen Brown. And today we are uh, interviewing two people who I've known for a long time because I grew up next door to them from sixth grade on, actually. And I used to babysit their kids. So they were like one of my first employers, we'll say. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, appreciate you guys coming in today. Shane and Kristen of Wendell Ford. And so... uh, Anything you want to say before I, I... I mean, I've got questions, so you always know I have questions, especially for business owners. I'll, I'll, I'm full of questions. I'm more the tangent guy. So Ben will ask questions, and then I'll ask three more on top of that. And but we'll end up talking about everything from sheep to what you want. <laughs> he is Scottish, so there has to be sheep. <laughs> uh, and, and we'll say if there's anything that uh, you don't want us to keep in there, let us know. We can... We can 
not included in the podcast or something. For a small fee. For a small so, fee. Yeah. For, for the Raptor for the day. Right. Do you want to say, yeah. We're pretty much open books, but you never know. <laughs> yeah, you never know. So first off, though, we usually ask people, like, do you mind sharing a little bit about the history of the business and your guys' uh, history and how you met? It would be fun since your husband and wife team running the company together. Why don't you start? Okay. So my grandfather started Wendell. Uh, say, yeah, we should say Kristen Wendell. Goff. Yeah, yeah. in uh, 1943, and he uh, um, he had been working at Ford Motor Company in Seattle, and uh, it started out um, typing parts invoices, and mm-hmm. then moved his way up and heard that a point was coming available in uh, Spokane, and so him and at the time his um, another gentleman that was working at Ford. Uh, Wayne Stoddard um, ended up opening the point here and uh, so then my dad uh, joined the business in uh, well he started there just kind of like I did and my brother we from a young age did odds and ends you know different jobs at the dealership and um, my dad was the same way and then um, ended up uh, my grandfather probably retired I would say the 80s and um, and then uh, my brother and I, um, uh, after college, we joined the dealership full-time in the 90s, early 90s. And Shane, actually, the same time I was there, um, Shane and I had met, sorry, I'm all over the place. Shane and I met at the University of Idaho. Okay. We both went to college there. And uh, then after we graduated from college, we um, came back. Shane, it was just going to be a temporary thing. Were you dating thing. in college? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So all the way. It's not college. like he came back to wash cars at the family dealership or something like that. And no, just happened I, to meet well, there. Kind of. It was going to be you were cars, but I was the shuttle bus driver, so. Oh, sweet gig. Kind of just got it. But it was that was a great because he you know being fr- he was from Southern Idaho. Yeah. So to be in Spokane and not it's know a big city. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it was good to be the shuttle driver and get to know Spokane, mm-hmm. and that's actually how we. Um, found the place, uh, our place at Green Bluff was he was, yeah. uh, weren't, weren't you on a shuttle? Well, a little later, but yeah. Oh. Still, I, Anyways, yeah. he got to know the like, area I, and. I don't think you built that house when you were a shuttle bus driver. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and despite what Kristen thinks, being the shuttle bus driver and, and new to Spokane in 1992 was not a good thing. I was like, but that was probably stressful. <laughs> yeah. You know, back then we'd have an Aerostar van and it was the extended version and there'd be 10 people in the van oh, and everybody would holler out where they're going yeah. and of course I knew division and Francis about it and uh, <laughs> they'd say oh I'm on the one ways or between the one ways and I didn't know that was Maple and Ash and so I'd, I'd always let them just kind of fight it out to who went what order we went in and call out directions so <laughs> it was stressful for for you know an entry-level job it was actually pretty stressful that time. for me bus you got to know Spokane while driving around it though right yeah and I got to see some good neighborhoods and some of the places maybe didn't want to be yeah yeah it was I mean it was a good experience but uh, I feel sorry for the customers because it wasn't probably the best customer service at this that young point. college like, guy I have no idea where I'm going and but what a great way to learn about your business too because right. You know, as yeah. he's driving, the customer's talking, yeah. you know, they'll let you know what's great and uh, what they're frustrated with. The service advisor was terrible or something, yeah. Well, and was, yeah, I could come back and, and tell the service advisor, hey, by the way, you know, whatever you fix, make sure you get this done because that's that's Kristen's hot button. I just dropped her off and she told me, you know, for 15 minutes, told me all about 
you know the passenger window yeah or whatever so it was it was good and it was good for me because later i became a service advisor so i kind of understood that and that's kind of similar to one of those positions, like the front desk position, we always say, where it's like you get, like, okay, give me the details of what they were talking about in the lobby. Where are we at? Like, set the stage for me right. and, and the mood that they're in and everything. So, it's, yeah, exactly. It's a good position, mm-hmm. actually. I mean, just a, a good testament. Position. That, yeah, it's the people. Totally. You know, the people make the business. And yeah. Well, there's companies now that don't, don't let you buy in and be in an executive position unless you've worked your way up. So the one that springs to mind is Chick-fil-A, right? You yeah, have, the to have to have worked for Chick-fil-A to own a Chick-fil-A. Right. And there's some others that are like that. I think it's it's great to start somewhere like that and see how the business works, not assume how the business works. Yeah, yeah a little boots on the ground action going. So you guys met as vandals, right, you said? So met as vandals. How? Well, we got a party? Doing cake stand, Shane was doing a cake stand, and uh, or vice versa. That's a story. I don't know if we have enough time, but no, <laughs> it, I guess it probably was a party. But uh, uh, Kristen, uh, I was in the Pike House, and Kristen was a, a Delta Gamma, so she was the DG okay. at Idaho. And so at the time, uh, a lot of the DGs were hanging out with a lot of the Pikes, and so there was this date this is all going like on. foreign to me. Yeah, the there's a the date going on the next night, or or whatever, and so they were all up getting acquainted and. And uh, Kristen was going on a double date with two other of my fraternity brothers and one of her friends. So the next night when the date came up, I just decided that I was going along with them. So <laughs> we all went on a double date. And, uh, Except for you were the fifth wheel? I was the fifth <laughs> one, yeah. I was the only one without a date. But uh, uh, it took a little time, but I finally won her over, and we got to go on a real date a, few, a week or so after probably. And that was kind of how we met. So, yeah, I swooped in and was the third wheel or the fifth wheel and uh, that, was, that was kind of it so how long did you guys date before you got married oh oh i don't know why uh well i know the date because i always tease her about it because for some reason i can remember the date of that oh, yeah. unofficial date it's february 10th 1989 i remember what was it? 19, uh, February 10th. February 10th. I was going to say, wow, it was like, wait a second. Were you February? born in 1989, Ben? I was. <laughs> that was actually a month after I was born. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen Smith, sorry. Oh, no. oh, yeah. We got married in 93, so. It was January 3rd, 89, Kristen. Okay. Yeah. 89. <laughs> Just a baby. Yeah, I know. I'm 32 now, if you're trying so, to do the math. Car industry. It's super, super interesting. It's super diverse. There's obviously a ton of innovation going on just now. And I think the whole industry will be somewhat closer to electric in the next five years, like completely electric. I know there's a a movement that way. But you guys have been in it for so long. You've seen the highs and the lows, right? So obviously 90s all the way up to 2008 was boom, 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 boom. And then 2008 hits. How did that go for you guys? Talk, talk, Talk us through the... The process when you realize they're crap and then the companies need to build out and so on and so forth just the uh, evolution since the 90s you think mm-hmm. um it was the 90s was an interesting time and, and we didn't know it obviously to come into the car business we didn't we didn't know it was but looking back um the 80s were tough with, with gas embargoes and all that so we, we went from having really cool cars in the late early or 60s to late 70s 70s, maybe even slightly early 80s and then we went to having really vanilla plain gutless cars because of gas and fuel prices and and all that in the 80s i.e the ford escort right (laughs) Um, 
the K car that saved Chrysler. And, and hey, I have one of those. Of Watch it. Watch yeah, it. there's yeah, a whole that's bunch a of good car. cars. Uh, got a turbo. Yeah, that, that we got big, but but small engines, and they just were not that fun. And then the 90s, things were coming back. Plus, interest was huge in the 80s um, you through all that. So anyway, we missed all that fun stuff. So when we got in the 90s, it was the cars were kind of, at the time, cutting edge, and we just didn't know it. But yeah. um, we're back to high horsepower and, you know, Mustangs with 5-liter engines and V8s and, and trucks with 460s and stuff still. It was, so it was kind of still a horsepower era. Um, as we progressed, things changed. Um, we've gone now to the lower displacement and the turbo-powered trucks yeah. and cars and engines to get more efficiency and power out of less engine. And batteries been around, your EV's been around off and on uh, for quite a while. I don't know exactly the date, but I know Nissan's actually had uh, an electric vehicle for 20 years or so in Japan. They, really? they, they were one of the first pioneers. but. I think we stay pretty close to it. All the manufacturers um, are pretty good about forecasting the future and aligning with the EPA, and, and so they're working constantly to get better at that. So, uh, you know, Ford's going to have all electric. They're going to have a model that's going to be an EV in every, or an EV model for every F-150 and, and Mustang Lockheed e and whatever they offer, they'll have an electric version probably in the next, yeah. 10 years by then, I'm guessing. Hmm. Um, I have my doubts on electric vehicles. I mean, they're fine. They're fun to drive. Uh, they're not my favorite. I like the sound and the feel of a gas motor, but um, I think that you know, hydrogen or something else is mm -hmm. probably going to be a better answer than, than the EV. I mean, we haven't yet assessed what the damage really is by Producing batteries. batteries and then at some point disposing of batteries, <laughs> yeah, there's or recycling thing, right? or uh, whatever we want to call it. Uh, I think there's probably some unknowns there that we're going to find out. That's not our answer. Um, plus, what just happened in Texas? I mean, yeah, kind of scary when the grid goes down and everyone's running. If mm -hmm. everyone were running on electric, what we would what we would experience? But it's almost like that was planned, right? Seriously, <laughs> it wasn't. But um, you did see that the Ford F one fifty was powering neighborhoods and stuff the new power boost yeah seriously yeah, oh yeah it was that was that's a good, good commercial timing, that's yeah, a good right. yeah seriously yeah, i feel sorry for the folks so, in texas but i actually have a question uh english is not my first language today i guess huh? i'm just gonna like stumble over my words for you Kristen. so you were talking about the 90s right you guys were both working in the dealership in the 90s right both yep. okay nobody took a hiatus from not, the dealership at all in the 90s uh no, no uh, Riley was born in 1997 and I took but it wasn't even very long it was like weeks I mean okay but no, I, I mean you've been involved obviously but what I was going to ask was as so I mean I grew up obviously watching my parents both work in the same company together and so it's an interesting di dynamic to watch people husband and wife work together uh so we'll talk about that a little bit but I want to see if like from your perspective watching your dad and I don't know how involved your mother was in the dealership or not but I mean, obviously, there was definitely times where they went through struggles, and the economy and, and car sales <laughs> tend to have some tie-in. So how do you think your folks did through times of struggle, and, and what did you see that you admired about them, or what was it like being a kid in a business owner household? Uh, I th I'm very lucky. I'm sure you would say the same thing, to grow up with uh, um, 
you know, both parents. My mom was actually a full-time volunteer, but, um, <laughs> like, she was on so many boards and worked. Hutton, right? Yeah, a long time. Uh, so many boards. And she worked yeah. long hours. I mean, she was a literally full-time volunteer. So <laughs> it wasn't the stay-at-home mom situation. But I learned so much from them growing up. Like, I didn't even realize, you know, just because they would still talk business. And, and, and I learned a lot. I consider myself very lucky to have, you know... Um, yeah, both of them. Yeah. And, uh, but I think, like, one thing I learned from them that I never fully appreciated until when we hit these challenging times is they uh, worked through conflict. Like, even if it's during stressful times, um, how they handled the stress. Yeah. And then uh, when challenges arose, you know, just working through it, I guess. And Was it just communication, you think? Communication. Yeah. They, I think they're both... Um, you know, great communicators and positive. They try to focus on the positive. Uh, And, you know, I just, I really admire them. And we're lucky because we really get along with uh, my parents and even sometimes in a family business. Um, uh, You know, my dad, he fully retired. I don't, he still is, he still comes in almost every day. But, um, really? yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And he has. It's just part of his life. I mean, it's part of his routine. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, but, um, you know, technically it was uh, 2011-ish, 12-ish, um, when he, you know, fully stepped away from the company. And yeah. um, and we're lucky because we get along with him so well and yeah. we can, you know, disagree mm-hmm. and we work through it. And sometimes we agree to disagree. And I just, I think we're fortunate to you know get get along well, well. i would imagine i mean he, he grew up in different circumstances different times too right so mm-hmm. his idea of how he would deal with a situation is going to be very different from how you guys would deal with a situation but now i mean legally i don't think it's his company anymore right correct so yeah. it's like he probably sits there in the back going like oh i wouldn't do it like that like how do i tell well, he'll say it he'll yeah. say well, he will. what are you doing you know and he'll ask and he'll you know, when he thinks we're, you know, we've made a bad choice or we're, <laughs> you know, you he wants, yeah. there was some light, a lighting situation um, a little while ago and he, oh, he'll, you know, and I'll say, ah, I don't think we should be doing that. And he'll, you know, we can totally disagree and he, yeah, yeah. he'll um, gracefully disagree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's cool. That's yeah. Fun. It's nice to have him still involved though, because there's a lot of, even in, in the 28 years we've been doing it, there's a lot of things we haven't done yet. Yeah, you know, situations that come up, and it's nice to have him either at the store, or a phone call away to say, "Hey, have you ever done this, or have you ever seen this, or, or whatever?" Not, you know, things have changed, and maybe how you end up at the the result. But so much of I think uh, a business owner's identity is in their business too, which is an interesting like psychological dynamic. And I wonder about this with my own parents. It's like, okay, when you retire, you sell the business, right? It's like, and you no longer have both of you having invested your day and your life into this company and how you're sold and done. It's like, it'll be an interesting change. But with your dad, he still gets to obviously come around Mm -hmm. to be a part of that from a transition standpoint. That was going to be one of my questions, then I'll shut up and let Stephen ask a question, was (laughs) transferring a business from generation to generation to generation is a really difficult thing. So it's like, is there anything specifically that you guys think has worked well, other than obviously you mentioned communication and you guys seem to all get along. Family dynamic seems to be strong, but I know it's like when you look at the stats for multi-generational succession, it's terrible. 
right? It, it doesn't usually happen. So you guys are on your third generation now, fourth generation's working in the dealership, Riley and Colby, it sounds yeah. like. And I'm going to just guess that they're going to want to, you know, maybe someday retire you guys. And then you can come in and comment on the lighting. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So anything that you can point to you think that's been productive with kind of that transition? That well, I think I can start. Kristen probably has way more to say um, since it was her parents. But both Dick and Carol, you know, began that process early. I mean, they started, yeah. they started a long time ago, um, probably about the time that all of the kids that that her and her brother were just coming into the store, they were already starting on succession planning in the background and, and working through it. And You know, there's a lot of moving parts to any business and especially transferring that and getting, figuring out a way to get out to where your successors can afford it Yeah. and come in. Yeah. Um, so I think we owe it a lot to, well, we owe it all to them and just their forethinking and, and how that was gonna happen because it started way before it ever actually took place. And there, there was a lot of bumps and and potholes along the way, but I think that what Kristen said with the communication and, and yeah. none of us were in any hurry. My dad always jokes, too, that he'd be better. When people want his advice about succession planning, he always says, I, I, I'd be better at telling you what not to do. <laughs> you know, because we oh, ran yeah. into that many just roadblocks. And, and But communication, I think it goes back to communication, is key. But, you know, over-communicate, talk through yeah. everything. You know, and, and I think my parents did a great job, and then they had some great, you know, advisors that yeah. helped us through it. And What I think with succession planning, too, is it's like that everybody, every party involved in it uh, knows what they actually want. Because I think a lot of people, when it comes to, like, family business, like, the easiest thing to do is take over the family business, and if the money's good, it's even better, <laughs> right? So it's like, and people, that might not be necessarily where their passions align, but they sure like the paycheck that comes from it, right? So they join for the paycheck, and it's like, well, now you're joining for the wrong reasons, and you're not actually going to benefit the family corporation. You're actually going to be a detriment to it, right? Yeah. So it's like, that's been an interesting thing to see. Just, again, working in finance, you get to kind of see behind the behind the curtain sometimes and see what people, <laughs> what their motives really are. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask, obviously you inherited Ford because you guys didn't decide to work with Ford. When did Nissan come into the picture and then how does that work in your industry where you decide which brands to align with? And I'll point to an obvious exception that I see is that Dave Smith has GM, Chrysler, Dodge, so he's working with multiple almost competing brands, whereas you guys are in two very different markets with Nissan and Ford, I would say. Yeah, I think your father got Nissan, it was Datsun still, but it was 1984, oh, nice. 82? Early 82, 80s. Early 80s. Were um, you rocking the 280Z? I... You weren't old enough yet. No. To the 280Z. <laughs> but, but my mom drove, isn't that what my mom drove for a little while? Not the, not the early ones, I don't think. Huh. Yeah. Before but yeah, that was on um, <laughs> it was on Francis, wasn't it? Uh, Monroe. Monroe Street. Oh. And then moved to Francis. Or Francis yeah, I think so. Yep, Monroe. I think so. Anyway, it was, they had two locations. And before it came back to uh, where the Ford dealership was at Division of Wellesley, I don't know when they brought it in-house to that. And I don't know how that that went back back. I can't. Did you even know they had two locations before? I was like, I don't know if you were even here. Before it got developed into Northtown Square. I a little bit. So what year did you move to Spokane? 2009. 2009, okay. 
But so they actually had, I mean, the, the Ford dealership was at, right across from Northtown Mall. Northtown Square yeah, with yeah, the yeah. Starbucks all it yeah. was. So yeah. So. I knew that. I knew that that's where it used to be. I didn't know mm-hmm. the two locations per se. Because like, you've been at the Y for as long as I can remember. Uh, November 95, 96. Well, it was a grand opening mm-hmm. of the building, but yeah, mm-hmm. you're we moved everything to the Y then in uh, two thousand eight. Fun timing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> especially to the car dealership business. Oh boy, especially to go and like let's dr- let's develop out that other one from a real estate standpoint. So so stressful. But <laughs> then this last year, but <laughs> <laughs> a whole different type of stress yeah. though, too. I'm mm-hmm. sure. So then. To come back to the the affiliation piece, is would you guys look at affiliating with another company and having an additional dealership? Or what what's the process there? Like, what well, that kind of just happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind of just, just happened. Acquired. I don't know if there's um, I don't know if there's a written rule on how you acquire or what what brands you acquire or don't acquire. Uh, a lot of it, I think, is personal preference or. Well, um, relationships with the previous owner could be, you know, if, if well, they approach you to carry sometimes, don't yeah, they? We'll just, if they want you to carry their particular franchise, or something. yeah, and we've had uh, we've had some brands come and knock on our door and say, hey, we we see you have an empty building, yeah, you know, just north of the Ford store. How about putting putting our nameplate on that building? And and we've looked at a few of those, and and by and large, a lot of those come when they come back, and you say, okay, well, we'll look at that. Then they come with a whole um, binder full of how they want you to remodel a perfectly good, you know, five-year-old building, and it just doesn't make sense a lot of times for for what the units are. In because they do operate like a franchise, right? I mean, they yeah. have their stipulations. You run like this. The building looks like this. Here's your colors. That yeah, there's a reason all the Ford stores and Nissan stores look similar, and Toyota stores all look similar, and, and they're trying to get that. It's a franchise, and they they want it to look the same. They don't necessarily give you um, a playbook like a chick-fil-a is here's how you make a yeah. sandwich you know but you all offer the same products and and the experience that's what the the manufacturers really want is is a similar experience between dealerships so that no matter where you go as a ford customer um you can expect the same the same experience whether it's in arizona or in spokane yeah, washington same standard of care if you will yeah makes sense did you have a question, or can I answer my next one? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go for my next one. I've been all respectful for a change. I know, that doesn't usually happen. Usually, <laughs> there's usually been a curse word by now, too, or something, but yeah. Yeah, we haven't sworn yet. Okay, well, damn it, that needs a change. Okay, so husband-wife disagreements, working together. How do you guys deal with disagreements? I mean, because I remember my parents disagreeing at work and coming home, and I can only remember my parents fighting one time. And, Are you wow? And I mean, and I can tell you exactly what it was about. How much money the client <laughs> owed them, and all, it did. <laughs> they were just better at hiding it. But like, a, like a full-on like disagreement. Like I can remember it clearly, and I can remember walking out of the house. And like, so you get some fun things that you get to disagree on, and it your your kids are involved in your company, so it's like everybody. I mean, it is your golf family identity to some degree. 
So it's like, how do you two working together? Yeah, you're in separate buildings on the grounds. Like, let me say, okay, so there's some geography between you. You might not see each other all day, but I assume you're kind of running the company together. So there's going to be things that you disagree on. Kristen already told me about one of your guys' arguments, i.e. projectors. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> don't even know don't that. Even get, <laughs> but so how do you work My through disagreements? Again, communication. I know that's an obvious one, but do you have something like, hey, when we come home, we're not talking about work anymore. Between the hours of X and Y, we don't talk about work. Or you just live and breathe in car dealerships. Hey, tomorrow, honey, we got a 7 o'clock meeting. We got to be there. Good night. <laughs> like, yeah, we usually, we usually, the rule we have is whenever the first one falls asleep and then the next one, the first one to wake up, those are the hours <laughs> we don't talk about business. We are, we go against every recommendation, yeah. best practice. We So the work-life balance thing for you guys is a fun one. Yeah, they don't have a book written about, about our marriage or our work. Yeah, you can together uh, or, but you know we we could for college, sure tell you what not to do. Major. So we had the same upper division classes. So we were and we were communications majors. So yeah, we had either paid group it's projects, group papers, and, or presentations yeah. due every week. And so the last two years of college, pretty much we worked together then anyway. You know, for our grades, mm -hmm. and so it kind of just continued on. But usually, um, we've been pretty good. Uh, with the exception of the projector story, uh, we've been pretty good at, at when when with our something. Sorry, Shane, I had to poke the bear a little bit on that. Yeah, one. when we disagree on something, usually one of us has more passion on yeah. the subject than the other, and for the most part, I'd say we usually realize that, and it's like, all right, take it, it's yours, run, you know, and better hope that it's the right decision, or you're, we're going to hear about it, right? And I told you. I guess is, is there? Would you say pretty equal? In terms of, is there a boss at, at the well, dealership? She's definitely the boss. She's definitely the yeah, boss. Yeah, I just wanted, to, I wanted to see, like, yeah, how no, does that work? Yeah, Kristen's a boss. There's no doubt. Um, it, I, we, we divide pretty well. I think so too, because there's certain. Uh, she has the title, but yeah. When things come up, when we disagree, I guess. Um, and it's not even just always Shane and I are, that are the decision maker. You know, yeah. it could be someone else that. You know, at, at the dealership, but we um, we just have our areas where I'm like, okay, then that's your call. You know, I guess I. Uh, well, you empower people within their own areas. I mean, because you guys have department managers too, right? Yeah. So it's like. Like take digital marketing. I really um, enjoy digital marketing, and when it comes down to making a decision there, um, I would say that you know if if we disagree. Then ultimately, probably I would make it. But there's a lot of areas, um, inventory. You know what? Um, like I stay out of what inventory <laughs> we're, we're um, you know, we're gonna take from the manufacturer. And and you and um, we have a few managers that I lean on for that. Like that's um, they know it better than you, so yeah. That, yeah. Mm -hmm. Let them run with it. Kristen, Kristen's the uh, the best at keeping us on track, though. I mean, she. She knows who said what, who committed to what, what day, what time. She's the she, uh, she's yeah, told she, the hard line. You know, we there's a lot of ADD in in the car business, uh, in sales in general. I think, yeah, totally. and uh, and Kristen, I think, suffers the same affliction we do, but she's way more organized. So, you know, we'll we'll try something and start, and then you know we see a squirrel and we're off, and <laughs> a week later she brings everybody back and says, hey, you know, what happened to and. And so she does a good job at that, and, 
and our culture is important, obviously, to us. And I think Kristen keeps that way more in the front forefront yeah. of her mind than maybe a lot of us do. You know, where we're like task oriented and what needs to be done right now, and we'll we'll pick up the pieces if there are any later and fix that. And, and she's she'll slow us down. And well, say, you know, wait a minute, does that really I mean, fit? That really is the visionary, like, CEO mindset, right? Like, not working yeah. in the business practices themselves, but working on the overall, like, vision yeah. of the company and the culture of the company, too. I was telling her last time I was in, Shane, like, like that's something I've always respected about you guys is, like, and I've told her a couple of stories from, I remember, like, in my parents' front lawn chatting. I was like, you guys always, like, I could tell there was, like, a genuine passion and a genuine love for your team that a lot of business owners, you know, have but don't have at the same time right it's, it's like they're like yeah but they're here to make the profit like i'm going to treat them well but it's like you guys really truly do seem to like care about your your folks which is cool to see so one of my questions was around culture it's like is there anything that you would say you intentionally do to create like an inclusive fun culture i know Kristen, i said and i didn't know from last time that sometimes you guys can even come across as a little bit of a hard ass on the sales side and that some people have left because they said like they couldn't necessarily fit your culture or your you know values we'll say in terms of how things should be done so talk about that i mean how do you create company values across 120 130 employees to where people buy in and turnover is low and i mean i was telling Kristen, i mean manny and i are facebook friends in the service department jeremy cooper and i have these other cell phone numbers and Text on like these people have been here for so long that like you you, you know them now. Then just we set have. a new record for the longest question asked ever. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we the, have <laughs> amazing. It was a compliment and a question, and I think uh, they help. Um, def- you know, obviously define our culture, and we it's all a constant work in progress. Like it's you know, we do have to focus on making our business environment fun and you know a place where everyone wants to work and um and it i think it's extra challenging in the car business because it's almost like having multiple companies because you have the parts department the service department the sales department a detail department administration and so uh sometimes it's like um it's hard to get well especially with covid it's been really hard we used to do like you know, employee lunches, which we loved because it brings everybody together and all the different departments, um, you know, or employee events, big get togethers. Uh, and they get to know each other and learn more about each other's departments. And um, and so it's, it's really challenging, but I don't know, we just have good folks that I guess um, have part a lot of, of respect for each other. Pardon me? Is part of that your hiring process, you think? I don't know. I don't think, I don't think we do a great job at I, I shouldn't say that. Not, <laughs> not, I don't mean that we don't do a great job in hiring. I don't think that our onboarding or because our department managers ultimately screen those candidates. Got it. And sometimes there's a need for a body, and we still do that. I mean, we hire a body. Like, we don't do that, but we will still fill a, you know, plug a hole, you're in um, kind of thing. And, and that's hard. But I think a lot of what we do too with our culture is that. You know, we're there every day, and, and I think that I hope that, that people would say that we lead by example. You know, we do what we would like them to do. We have a lot of employees that have been there a long time, but a lot of them have left somewhere in that period and gone and worked somewhere else and come back. And that really, um, when that happens, and I think we have a few of those, 
uh, that have been really great great success stories. Manny's one, Jeremy yeah. Cooper's one. Um, you know, they come back and they understand what it is then. The reason they left the yeah. first time, there was too much um, constriction or too many rules or, or whatever, and they come back and say, no, this I get it. Mm -hmm. th this is what it's about. I mean, we want, we want everybody to come in, and, and obviously it's still work, uh, but we want them to come in and enjoy where they come, enjoy the people they work with, and hopefully that the customers feel that and, you know, have, a good, have as an enjoyable of a time as they can, whether they're getting their car fixed or, or buying if, a new one or whatever. Yeah, and I think if we hire someone that uh, we find does not put the customer first, and uh, I, a lot of times we don't even have to let them, I mean, they are they, uncomfortable. because they know. Our, our <laughs> Yeah, our team, I guess, is so customer-focused you know, for the most part, that it ends up getting uncomfortable enough for, you know, that it, it's not going to work yeah. out. Yeah, uh, they know. The yeah. writing's on the wall. It's kind of like weeding a garden, like, you know. You <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's kind of funny. So we've had folks come into Ten Capital before, and they're like, you guys seem like you're all friends. Like, you guys all get along. And they're like, yeah, like, I feel like they all have my back, right? And it's like, and when you feel that with your team, it's like, it's funny how the work product is just better. Like, your end product is just better when you don't have, I would say, when you don't have to go to work and worry about people stabbing you in the back, right? Like, they're there to support you and to make you better, that your end product ends up being better, right? And, and, and then to that point, though, like, then your culture is better, too, right? Sometimes stuff just meshes, and it's just funny how that works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned marketing. Obviously, that's migrated online. You, you said digital marketing. Um, and I have to give you kudos for your latest round of uh, commercials where you show the buying process through the eyes. And I know Courtney real well. Um, she's got an office space, Courtney Pickens, she's got an office space in, mm -hmm. in, in the place where I have an office space. So talk to us how the marketing of cars has changed in your time as well. Because I always, I've tried hiring former car salespeople before and they struggle because they're used to people coming to them and initiating versus them having to go and initiate. But that's even changed, right? Where they're doing more online and things like that. So can you guys talk to us about the marketing more strategies? More outreach. Yeah. I think, well, we're unique because we still do um, a fair amount of traditional marketing and advertising, and that's not necessarily the norm in our industry, at least the stats we get and we look nationally. Um, it's it's much heavier digital, and, and the traditional advertising for a lot of dealerships is zero or, you know, a, mm. an event maybe if they're sponsoring an event that they get on a, a television or radio spot. Um, we like to think, or maybe I like to think, uh, I, I hold on to the traditional more probably than Kristen, and, and I like to think that you know we're still a small community, even though it's Spokane, and people still watch TV, and people still want to see a unique message, and so we, you know, we don't always have the most polished advertising when it's traditional, but we, we try to keep it real. Um, you know, it's it's... I remember it, it was on a big sale all the time at our store. It's right? a brand recognition, right? Yeah. yeah. Riley was telling a stole, uh, story, and I can't remember like even when she told me this story. It's like you guys were out to dinner, and Sh Shane does a lot of the commercials. If you've seen the commercials, mm -hmm. Shane's on the commercial, walking through the lot. I'll be on Alaska, you know, flying. I see Shane in the magazine or something like that. I can't remember where I saw you, but Riley was saying you guys were out to dinner one night, and somebody came up and was like, "Where do I know you from?" Like, I recognize you for sort like, Shane's like a celebrity now. It's like him and the Northern Quest guy. Or, yeah, I'm going to go hang out together. <laughs> the Northern I Quest love lady him. I used so to coach funny. her daughter. So the Northern Quest gal and the commercials yeah, out there? Oh, yeah. funny. So I, I coached Brooke's daughter. You might have, did, didn't Riley play soccer? Mm, both kids did. Yeah, I was like, yes. they both played soccer. I was like, you might have coached their kids at some point. Clubs. 
Uh, oh my gosh. Uh, well, early on, Sabres, and then uh, Riley was... Foxes. Foxes, Shadow. Um, uh, one, very Colby. last year, though, was Shadow. No. Yeah. Oh, Colby, though, was sh Shadow. Uh, Zifa. Zifa. It kind of depended. All of them, huh? Yeah, it sort of depended they, on. We stuck with the same coaches. We for the girls' side. Oh yeah, Colby. Colby's side. Um, Which coaches? His coaches would move away, or things would happen. But we loved. I mean, both kids had amazing coaches. So Riley had. Uh, so this is. This is embarrassing, but I was actually her very first coach in SYSA. <laughs> and I didn't even know how to play soccer. I had never played soccer. Well, I shouldn't say I never played soccer. <laughs> I was not yeah. good at For soccer. soccer, you don't need to. Yeah, but, uh, and that's what SYSA told me. They're like, because they didn't have a coach for um, five-year-olds, I think. I mean, they were little. And they were really little. And they're like, you don't, need, you, know, you don't need to have any experience. You can do this. And let me tell you what, couldn't do it. <laughs> can, can you hair cats? It, I, I just and I am I love children, but I struggled with tr you know trying to coach them, and I'm like, oh my gosh, they won't you know spread apart. Listen, they won't listen. you know like they're they're all over the place. And I so anyways, another parent stepped in, fortunately, and saved me and uh, coached and did a fantastic job. But Riley's really lucky because from that age, she stayed with multiple of those kids that, hmm. you know, she played for years. Um, she played all the way through high school. Right. But, uh, so, Chris Stiles, um, yeah. Travis that Hansen, yep. uh, absolutely the most unbelievable coaches yeah. and people. They, and they stuck with the same core group of girls through all those clubs. Mm -hmm. and. It was a lot of politics, and Colby, um, he had politics. Not in soccer. But he was in that, his era um, was probably more, yeah, the most politics that there could have been. I mean, he never, he never had the hard. same, he'd, he'd have one or two teammates that were similar each year, but it was, hmm. it was a constant rebuilding. And, and, and great coaches, and, but they would get frustrated with the organization, and so the coach would quit, and then, you know, Colby's team's, you know, it, just constant turnover and coaching, and it, a lot of it was because that high level like disagreements at the you know with the organization, and mm -hmm. um, it's just hard on the kids. I you know, yeah, it's, it was he didn't have the same experience Riley did. No, two mm -hmm. totally different experiences, but coaches within a year difference. or two years of age group of each other, and just totally different. I'm going to have a PTSD event here. I was going to say, go back to <laughs> soccer coaching. Get you started, the shine. So imagine, imagine being involved in that crap, but it's your job, and you don't have a kid involved in it. So you don't have to be there. You, you're technically choosing to be there, and you're dealing with everything from parents to disgruntled coaches to the kids, most important. And it's like, I don't have time to go and coach the kids because i got to go and have a parent meeting and try and offset some of this BS. And all the kids want to do is play. You know, Kristen <laughs> yeah. doesn't like uh, Lauren, and now they've got to be on the sideline together. And it's like, okay, so stand far apart. Problem solved. Yeah. But, well, I I'm going to take five kids and go to a different club if you don't kick them out of the club. And it's like, what the hell is wrong with you people? <laughs> I think the parent thing, I, you know, same with teaching. Like, I just it would be so hard to deal with some of the parents that say my kid's not getting enough playtime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, um, you need to coach this way or that way. Or, you know, it's the ref. The ref's, you know, the ref, bad calls. You know, just the constant, like, it, it would make me crazy. So here's, here's a soccer coach's prayer, paid soccer coach's prayer. 
Dear Lord, please send me a team full of orphans. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, like I said, I'm the tangent guy, so we just yeah, he's the tangent guy. Yeah, um, but that's why you came to the states was to coach yeah. professionally soccer. So yeah. 2003 yeah. through 2014, all I did was soccer, multiple different verticals, and so I was working with the Chicago Fire. I was working for a company called Challenger Sports, which is like Skyhawks but on a much larger. You know, Chris ran Skyhawks, mm-hmm. um, but it's national, so like 250,000 kids coming through the programs annually. Um, and then, yeah, everything soccer. Did I ever tell you I worked for Skyhawks when I was in college? That was I did like all the accounts receivable payable. Oh, check okay. I was going to say coaching for them. Oh yeah, that's you, why they were kicking you, so much butt. You throw a ball like this. <laughs> you know what you're doing. <laughs> I'm not athletically inclined. Okay, again. We were really lucky though to get, especially Riley's situation, um, Chris and Travis, because originally I think I signed them or Riley up because we were working full time and I wanted. To get them into sports because that would keep them busy yeah. and <laughs> yeah. out of trouble in my opinion and uh that was my like i didn't know anything about soccer and i just was like okay here's you know this Go do something. looks good you know let's do this and uh she loved it she loved the coaches she loved the other kids it was such an awesome experience for her uh and so we kept them in and we put them in multiple other sports too to keep them busy as busy as possible yeah. and uh but soccer, I mean, we shockingly loved it. So I hated I, soccer. <laughs> I was not the the parent pushing the soccer thing, but ultimately, I would say that you know, soccer. I would say next to wrestling is probably two of the greatest sports for building next character. Next to wrestling, I think wrestling is probably the the best sport for building good, just character. Okay, now I got to add why. Now I got like that. I've not heard anybody say that yet. So, so uh, well, I wrestled, so obviously I'm biased. But I think um, if you get into wrestling and you get to, to somewhat compete, so let's just say high school varsity level, you know, that's that's probably about the highest level for most uh, wrestlers. Yeah. Um, you have to make weight. You have to be in top physical condition. You have a... a uh, responsibility to the team not only to do those two things but also to perform on the mat but it's just you against one other person so it's an individual so the whole thing you know you have to you have to pr- I think wrestling teaches you a lot of um, strong willed uh, you're tough to break you know you, you can't it's not just yourself it's a team sport but there's a more of a it's like being a goalie right yeah. it's a team sport unless you're a goalie and then you either win, it's team sport. If you lose, you're a goalie, and it's all your fault. Or it <laughs> can be, your right? Your mistakes are amplified, yeah. Right. And so, or the um, kicker on the... And soccer, I think, is the same way, just because it's such a physically demanding sport, and you, you do have individual tasks on that, on the pitch or on the field to... to it's, it's interesting. Huh. They're both physically demanding. I think that's the biggest thing. And so you, the, the kids have to learn, um, you know, what's going to prioritize. Do I do this? But in line with my sport or do I go do this with all my friends yeah you know and they have to make those hard choices so as they grow through those two sports I think they're they're really great developmental sports for good people and Colby had incredible coaches there too in wrestling Travis Hughes Rob Renner I mean I could have all those coaches were just top-notch at mouse hands yeah Mm -hmm. 
Plus the Mead School District, probably the best in the nation. Just <laughs> We're very lucky. <laughs> Colbert Elementary. Yeah. Awesome teachers. <laughs> it is. It's a good school district. Just saying. I, I might be a little biased, too. But. <laughs> um, so back to business, because I like to talk about that. And so I'll ask Kristen this. Some misconceptions in the car business. So one that I've heard is like the margins on used versus new, right? That everybody thinks you make a bunch of money when they go and they buy a new Ford Explorer from you guys, right? That you just made a bunch of money off them. When the reality is you probably would be happier if they bought a one-year-old Explorer because it has higher margins. Is that correct? Is that true? Well, yes and no. <laughs> I know, it's, it's a complicated... Uh, but yeah, for the most part, I would yeah, say Yeah, I yes, think that, you know, you, you work off of a, of a market guide, a book guide of some kind when you're purchasing used. So you're using a, you're using a historical value. So really your used potential is how did you buy the car? Um, and that doesn't mean that you, you stole it from somebody or you paid way too yeah. fast for it. It just meant the market, you took it in, the market was this and the market went up then that car is going to be potentially a profitable car uh, or more profitable car than others. Um, you put this on it, market went down, it's going to be less profitable. So I think, you know, when you ebb and flow that, uh, we have more control in the used car market um, than we do new. I mean, new has an invoice. You know, everybody pays X. Um, everybody that gets online knows what X is or within a few dollars of what X is. And so it makes it tough. I think the biggest thing on the, you know, people think that there's all this money um, in new cars and really new cars is just a way to, to get business, keep people coming into your dealership, your service department, and maybe get, you know, a good trade-in to sell to somebody. That's, that's kind of the new car business, um, in my opinion. To send the money is not necessarily made on the sale of the new car, but on well, the service and the I like return. to put it a different way. On, a, on any car, let's just say this. So it, any business, you have a profit margin or a goal, a yeah. target. Um, I think my grandfather told me when I was young, and he was a well driller, um, so he was a working guy, and he said if you can't make more than 20%, then it's not a business you want to be in. He told me that long, long, long time ago. The average uh, between invoice and, and MSRP on a vehicle is maybe 4%. Hmm. So, profit margin. So if you bought everything at MSRP, profit was 4%, give or take. One to four, probably. Um, keep in mind your sales tax in Washington is 9.1%. So every time we sell a car, the, the state makes at least twice as much as the person that has all the risk in the game. It's a crappy and not that we don't <laughs> Not that we don't complain yeah. about sales tax or taxes in general, right? Yeah. We all do, but but if you look at it from a perspective as you know, risk versus return on investment or, or what have you. Uh, vehicles, cars and, and by large are, are high transaction price, low volume low um, So it's a quantum uh, margin. Mm -hmm. So hmm. um, obviously there's money made in the financing piece, there's money made in the servicing piece. But essentially the way I would look at it and kind of hopefully more dealerships look at this, it's like an ecosystem. So whether you're buying new or used, we want you to bring it to us for service. We want you to bring it to us, you know, when you're, when you're getting your next car, come trade it back. We'll buy it back and we'll, you know, we'll yeah. do whether we sell it on our lot or push it off somewhere. But you're trying to create that repeat custom and it's, it's, it's a long game, right? It's not the... And you probably hate when people walk in and go, what's the MSRP on this? And negotiate and then say, here's cash and walk out. 
never to be seen again, right? <laughs> I think the goal is the repeat customer, and for sure, um, that's our goal is to is to create. You know, not we don't want to sell you one car. Yeah. We want to sell you a car, and then we want to sell your family and your kids' cars as they come into the market. And we just like to be on the list, so we kind of try to tell our our gang, our sales and sales guys and gals to. You know, everybody needs a friend in the car business, so you have to be that friend. You know, I don't, I don't get to necessarily sell Ben every car he buys, but hopefully he calls me and asks me about it before he does it, so that I can either help him buy his car if I if I don't have an option or a solution, or or at least uh, get a chance to say, well, what have you thought about? Mm -hmm. You know, or come take a look at. But we do that all the time. I mean, I tell people all the time, I've got this phone, I can book your car. You know, we'll be we'll be at dinner or well, not anymore. But we used to be out or dinner or whatever. <laughs> you know, I'd be it wouldn't be uncommon to be in the parking lot scanning a VIN on a car and entering the mileage and options to give somebody an idea of what maybe you know trade in might be worth. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's just how it is. And I think you, you've got to have the new cars is having a new car franchise is, in my opinion, the best way to be in the car business. Because you do have you have a brand that you always go to. I mean, if you lock, walk our used car lot, it's going to be predominantly Ford, and then as many Nissans as we have used to. I mean, those are our, those are kind of our wheelhouse. You know, it's it's like steak or seafood. You know, some do both, but most that do it well do one really well. And while you might be able to get a, a lobster tail or something at a good steak restaurant, really, it's the steaks they do the best. I uh, so I bought a Chevy truck from you guys, right? And I remember one of your sales guys, and it made me laugh a little bit. He's like, actually, the, the, I'm not going to tell you who said it because they'll probably get in trouble. <laughs> he's like, you actually want to buy Chevys from Ford lots and Fords from Chevy lots to get the best deals. He's like, because the Chevy actually, I think, sat on the lot for like three months or something like that. And it was like below book on it. You know, I, was still, I remember going like, why has nobody bought you this truck? You talked about that car so much. I did. I looked at that truck a lot, actually. And Steve was like, just go look at the truck. <laughs> and then I did, and I got suckered into buying it. <laughs> I suckered myself into buying it. You'd be trying to sucker me but I was like, that, is, that, is that at all a true statement, though? You th I mean, from a dollars and cents standpoint, and I know I'm putting you on the spot because you're a Ford dealership. But No, I would say you're... Well, I would. <laughs> Shane's got a little. Green we would green. have different, probably, opinions. But in your case, the reason they I think they would say that is that we have more people coming to our lot looking for a Ford or a Nissan than a Chevy. So totally. A lot of times, if we have an off-brand from what we carry, it'll stay there longer, and you know, it's it, all those cars are depreciating. Yeah. So we're motivated to move sit on your balance after, sheet after 70 days or so on a used car it needs to go away and so you'll see that the price on those cars do you do the price away. watch i like, watch prices yeah. well you can click it on our website well, it'll tell you when we lower the price well and i learned well, and then on, if we like, raise it back up it's yeah. interesting because all of a sudden the phone's it's ringing like and the customer's like whoa wait hey i saw this price here and you just ring it on all of a sudden we'll sell it there's a i think it's a lithia who out in Sprague and they have like a, a method of if the last number is a one two three, 
it, it determines how long it's been in the lot and oh. how many price drops they've had oh, on interesting. it. Oh, interesting. And so, like, and one of the guys told me one time when I was out there looking at a car, like, oh, this has been here this long because it has the two. So it's hmm. it's not in the lowest tier yet, but I'm just like, huh, so tricky. I would say back to your question, though, that's why they would say that, you know, you buy a Chevy at a Ford lot, a Ford yeah. or a Chevy lot, because if they don't have as many eyeballs, and so as it stays there, it'll, yeah. it'll get reduced. And that's what and I so, assume, yeah. Yeah, and, but, you know, there's times where we'll have, I mean, we'll drive by or go out in the lot and look and be like, where in the world? Why do we have seven Dodge Rams all of a sudden on the front <laughs> line? And it just goes in cycles, and for whatever reason, you know, a new model comes out, and it attracts people that drive X, yeah. and so you end up with a bunch of trade-ins, or Jeep Wranglers, we'll have that once in a while, um, where all of a sudden it's just Jeep Wrangler yeah. week at, at the store, and it's, <laughs> it's an odd... Uh, I don't know why it happens. You're like, no more Jeep Wranglers or Dodge Rams and trade-in. Toyota Tundras recently. Toyota Tundras, Oh, yeah. seriously. That just ebbs and flows, but you'll see them in groups. Oh. Huh. So there's there's obviously some used car dealers now that are huge, like CarMax, right, out in the valley, mm -hmm. and they do this no-haggle price, so the price they list is the price you pay, and if you try and haggle, they just say, that's the price, pay it. Do you think that's the future, and is, are you guys, do you think there's always going to be some give and take, because you're looking at adding service packages, and, you know, how are we financing this kind of thing, is that is that the future of car buying, or is it always going to be that? Like or is there the fun back and forth that I like them so much? Yeah. Well, I can tell you how we do it. Um, that started with Saturn, I think, right? The no, wasn't Saturn the first? Saturn no was, I think, the first yeah. one price uh, hmm. new car franchise. Worked well for them, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we've had a lot of Rubber. dealer dealer friends over the years move their stores to one price, and you know, some of them moved back, and yeah. some of them didn't, and they're hmm. not around anymore. Um, but CarMax has done a good job of proving that that's that's a way to do it um you know carvana all those online yeah. there's there's no haggle there's no back and forth and so we've done it a little bit different and and we watch the market and, and kristen just said in a, her last statement that sometimes we'll move the prices up because we'll watch the market on that car we have we have software that that watches that and, and tells us where the transaction should take place and so we'll price for example our used cars we'll price them on the market and we might not be the least expensive but we definitely won't be the most but we'll try to be in the top um, three or five in a localized market for example an f-150 we'll try to have our f-150 show up um, in the number five to number one spot in price and value mm -hmm. every time you search it and the reason is is because then we take away that need for the customer to feel like they have to have them back and forth because they're the ones that direct that. I mean, everybody always says, I hate the back and forth. Well, it's all right. The price is on the window. Pay it. Yeah. And you won't have to go back and forth. I mean, you initiate that. I guarantee you, we didn't say, hey, you know, Stephen, wait, don't buy that yet. Let's talk about it. <laughs> let's get this. you a better price. Yeah, let's see if I can go maybe get some. I mean, we might do that just if we like you, but you know what I mean? That's not, yeah. that's not how it's structured. So um, it's interesting, though. We have had customers come in and work on a car or a vehicle and back and forth back and forth and it's directed by them and we follow up and they bought a car at CarMax hmm. and it's like well what happened well I didn't have to go through all the BS <laughs> I, go, I know mm -hmm. that car was you know $700 more than the one we were just showing you and then our car was nicer you see that online I saw the pictures I reviewed the car you know yeah. what, what drove you to that well I just didn't want the back and forth so it's it's different. I don't know. Why'd you initiate the back and forth? Then? Yeah. I think I think what you're seeing is that dealers are are using technology in the market more, mm -hmm. and so we're putting our cars closer to a market value, 
So you're seeing less of the back and forth than what you used to do where you had to come to us, you know, in the 90s, you had to come to us, 80s and 90s, for information on the car. Yeah. Um, and even before that, so from the 90s before, yeah. you know, the internet, you had to come to us and that's a lot of where the car business got a lot of bad name is that we had people maybe that worked in our industry that would make stuff up. Yeah. You couldn't prove them wrong. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, over time, those truths get or mistruths get found out. And so there was some there were some unscrupulous things going on. Whether they knew what they were doing or not, I don't know. But we're seeing that kind of disruption in a lot of different markets with technology, right? So like yeah. Robinhood came in and TD Ameritrade, all these online platforms for trading ruined Ben's industry to a certain extent. Um, not ruined it, but they, they changed it, it for yeah. right. for people that wanted to dabble. Um, you know. Payments Square came in and did it in my industry, where it's like, hey, flat price, this is what you pay. Costco. And for some people, it's a wonderful deal, and for other people, it's like, yeah, it seems like a good deal till you get into the, the how and the, the what that you're, you're actually doing. Um, so I think disruption's great, and it keeps people honest, right? Mm -hmm. So technology's great for that, but then the flip side is that there's always the, the people that want to use the technology in a way, and it's like, no, that's not what, what we're doing here. That's, you're not getting ripped off here. That might have been the case down the road, but not yeah. our place. So sticking to unscrupulous, I like to ask um, some of the more difficult questions as well, as, as be the tangent guy. Predatory lending, obviously you guys don't do that, but you drive up and down division. There's, there's lots and um, they're, I mean, they're lending at 24, 25%, um, which is crazy. For, for a oh, you mean in terms size. of interest rates? Yeah. So these kind of lots, how do you feel about that? And is that something in your industry that you feel needs to be regulated and go away? Because I think in every industry, I don't like regulation from the government, but at certain times I'm like, okay, we need it. So how do you feel about that? And what's, what's the way forward to eliminate that nonsense? <laughs> They're both looking at each other. Yeah. Um, you don't want to answer that. Yeah. No, like, we no, no, anybody. It's, it's yeah that, so i think kristen's dad would be great to have you right now because he would tell you in the 80s um washington state had a usury rate a usury yeah. cap mm -hmm. and so they would get the loan bought and i think the cap was 12 percent. he tells the story and i can't remember it's like hard money lending so some yeah, it was 12 percent was the state cap but we got you approved at 15. so then the dealership would have to make up that difference because the most they could charge on the contract was 12%. Mm. And so I think I, that's my only experience with maybe a, a government regulation mm -hmm. on rates is that you know somebody's using a model somewhere to assess the risk of that customer. And so, yeah, is 29% maybe a little excessive? Mm, I would think that that's a pretty safe bet if you're buying that deal on a structured, you know, there's yeah. cash down of some kind. But, well, on the back um, of the car. I would say it's interesting because I look at that probably similar to you do. I see a, a car lot on any given street in Spokane, Maine, North South corridor, and and I know they charge 29% in-house. They carry the financing, and, and that's just what they do. And I look at that more as predatory or unfair uh, to that customer. Are you really doing them a favor? And yet we'll have those customers trade some of those cars in at a later date and you'll talk to them about it and they've not just bought one car they bought two three four five cars from 
those that organizations. Place, huh? And now I've got enough credit that they come somewhere else and buy a newer car or yeah. a more expensive car. And they're very loyal to those lots hmm. because they gave them an opportunity when they couldn't get a car. Yeah, they just wanted in the game. And so um, the answer is yes and no. <laughs> I think that there's a need for some of that. I think, is there a, is there a cap? Yes. I mean, we have credit card caps. Um, we could probably have auto loan caps a little lower than what they are. Um, but, you know, cash for clunkers in, in 2009, yeah. 10 came out. It took a lot of those cars out. So the people that were working and really struggling are single, single parents and trying to provide, you know, they're looking for a car that they can they can get into for a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks and pay a hundred dollars a month or every two weeks or whatever to a business just mm -hmm. to keep things moving. Um, and the thing that we don't see on a lot of those car lots too is that when that car breaks, uh, traditionally with the bank, you still owe payments. Mm -hmm. What you do with them too, but they'll look at that deal as a whole deal and they, they sometimes will recalculate and put you in a different car, hmm. maybe even under the same terms. You know what I mean? There, yeah. So there's some good going on behind those scenes, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Is there some, is there some bad that. seeds and some things that maybe need to be looked at? Totally. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you agree? I would. I think you said it perfectly. I didn't actually even know how to go about that, but <laughs> I think you said it perfectly. I There are definitely some bad seeds out there, and it, it, um, it breaks my heart for some people that are already in a bad situation, and it's been made worse. Yeah. And so it's... I really struggle with um, some businesses that take advantage of people. Yeah. yeah. And and the reason I asked is it kind of comes from being from Europe. Our public transport infrastructure is just so far superior to even a Spokane, right? Spokane has the bus system, that's it. You know, you go to Chicago or New York, Los Angeles, they've got their light rails and their the L system in Chicago and, and you can get around downtown but you need to get to the suburbs it's not quite where it needs to be so I think that plays into it to where in this country you need a car if you have a kid if you have a job unless you want to rely you want to leave two hours early and get home two hours late you need a car so that drives the need for it but it's also to your point Kristen it breaks my heart seeing people in bad situations and I love I love that I never thought oh there's good that comes from this but I guess it does repair people's credit because they report. Um, yeah, if they report. Yeah. yeah. And some of them do. So yeah, I would hope that's interesting. But I started helping a gentleman at work that um, had gotten, this is like 12 years ago, behind on his bills and um, had collection agencies calling Oof. him and he was getting evicted and like all these things going on. I know his health took a turn for the worse. And so I said, you know, let me take over your bills, let me help you through these times. Was and an employee? Yeah, and I thought I thought I was going to help him, like, you know, learn how to budget, and um, and it, it's, I'm st I still help him. Shane, Shane and I both She's do. She's next of Ken. Oh, wow. I, like, yeah, and I, but I, it dawned on me He's going to learn and get this figured out. Yeah, yeah. and he's um, <laughs> in his early 60s now, and, oh, uh, but he, I have to, you know, he lets me know what he needs, and um, I manage his money. And, Seriously. But oh I'm very glad I did that because, well, for one, I learned that um, if you, you know, were, weren't fortunate like I was to grow up with parents that taught me, you know, how to budget. And, yeah. And um, I realized I don't know at some point when you, you can't teach somebody that. Like it's, you know, and 
but I what I also realized helping him you know I started handling the call um, taking the calls for the collection agencies and he I realized like he was really getting taken advantage of in a in um, did they of, ever yeah. put together that it was like the CEO of the company that he works for? That's what made me sad, though, too, was that sometimes to when I walked in and, and to a business and they waved, you know. All of a sudden they're willing to play nice? Yes, yeah, and well, that really bothered me because well, it I was mean, just because of my, you know, my name or my, you know, how I yeah. was dressed or they treated me differently. And I learned a lot from, I still am actually learning. <laughs> Anyways, well, I mean, to his benefit it's nice that you were there then to help like sometimes it's like if you're in a position to be able to influence like you yeah. should yeah you know? like i said in every industry there's something so in my industry it's onerous leases so people are buying you can buy a piece of equipment for 300 bucks or you can pay 200 bucks a month for 72 months and we yeah. don't do those kinds of leases but other companies do and it just breaks my heart when someone tells me yeah but they'll replace it if it breaks and i'm like you can replace replace it for less <laughs> than you're paying every month yeah. Brand new. Yeah. Oh. So we've it's a good thing finance day. doesn't have any yeah. you know unscrupulous characters. <laughs> <in it. laughs> There's no in, embedded fees or you know. Well, the government tried this last couple of years to get in the the auto finance, and um, the one that comes to mind is the uh, Military Lending Act. Mm -hmm. And so you know they got in and put some restrictions in in an attempt to protect our men and women serving the country yeah. and our armed forces. But uh, in our business specifically, they made it illegal um, or unlawful illegal to sell uh, gap protection to anybody in the military so gap protection covers yeah. the difference if you get a total loss and you owe more than it's worth they cover that deficiency a lot of people don't know the lender will come back at you and say hey you still owe X and the car is gone it's in a bell in, or in mm -hmm. the junkyard and they made it illegal to sell to the military because I'm a the, the way I read the 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 battle over the last few years is that there were some people, some dealers overcharging, you know, taking advantage of that situation and, and overcharging on gap protection. Gap protection is fairly inexpensive uh, for us. And so, you know, we have military people come in and like, no, I've had that, you know, and, and when I was gone away and my girlfriend totaled my vehicle and, you know, I it was great. It took care of it and I didn't have to worry about it and I want that again or I'm not buying the car. And it's like, well, we can't sell it to you, period. So they've changed that. But you know that's kind of when they get in. They don't. Doesn't they don't. They don't anything. understand or look at the transactions. Mm -hmm. You know, they're they're looking at probably uh, whoever's leading that charge and paying the most yeah. in campaign funds or something else. And it yeah. does. It, it was with, made with good intentions, I think. But it really harmed well, that group. That I would say with that, you can tell there was a committee involved there because it was a good idea at the start. Yeah. But whatever the hell came out of it wasn't a good idea yeah. anymore. <laughs> Too many parties involved. Too many parties involved. It's like sitting on some boards. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this got really. It's actually like a couple stimulus bills that have come out lately, actually, now that I think about it. It's like, oh, good in theory. And then you start getting into it, like, oh, not so much. <laughs> not so much. That's why I'm always torn on government regulation. It's like sometimes I want it, and other times I'm like, no, stay the hell away. Don't break it. Yeah. Like you're yeah. going to make it worse. <laughs> Don't yep. touch it. Don't touch it. <laughs> Hands in your pockets. It's an antique store. Yeah. Do you but guys have anything you'd want to ask Ben or I? And remember, this is on the record now, so if you want to embarrass Ben, now's the time. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. You don't have to have anything. I don't think I know why. Why did you go into the... Oh, no. I do know. You started um, investing at a young age, right? Yeah. And so. how did you get started? Was that like somebody at school? No, that it was my parents. 
Oh, so really? it was, yeah. I, I can't even remember how it came about. Like, I expressed an interest in investing. So I started investing when I was 15 years old. Uh, and I expressed an interest. I think I had saved up a thousand bucks or something like that. And I said, like, huh, like, I got a thousand bucks. Like, what should I do with this? And I was talking with my parents, and they showed me their statements on their accounts and how it grew over the months and years and how that all worked. And then their financial advisor came to our house when I was 15 and sat down with me and walked me through it and started my first account with him and invested in a mutual fund. And every time I had a thousand bucks, I just put a thousand bucks into the uh, account. And, and luckily, lucky for me, Lauren was the same way. So, so we both started investing really young, but it was never something I thought I was going to do. Like I was graduating GU with an accounting degree and Stephen and I have talked about this before on the podcast and it, I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, Growing up in a marketing family where both your parents were, you know, live and breathe art and marketing and running a company. They're so talented. Yeah, we and love then, logo, by the way. Yeah, it's a good looking yeah. logo. I like it. And then uh, having an accounting degree, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. But yeah. I remember looking on Indeed.com and just happened to see like a job posting for a financial advisor. It's like, well, that's kind of cool. It's like you're self-employed, you know, so you don't have a salary. You got to start at zero. You got to create something. You got to build something. It's like I like that entrepreneurial spirit. Like, I like that side of it. I thought it was going to be fun. And uh, I remember they said, like, you have to bring a million dollars in your first year or you're, you're fired. And so I was like, oh. I remember talking to my parents. And I was like, well, that's kind of an intimidating <laughs> thing. <laughs> like, and they're like, well, we started our company when we were 27. So I was like, it's like challenge accepted. Okay. And so luckily it's worked. <laughs> so I'm doing the math here. You were born in 89. Yeah. At that time that you started investing, you should have just spent a thousand dollars on Amazon stock, and you'd be retired now. Who says I didn't? <laughs> I, I know you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> because Amazon probably—I don't even know if they were publicly traded back then. Yeah, they were a thing. I think they were. Yeah. I think it was like ninety-seven or ninety-eight. They went public. Yeah, you're. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say they were. For like their stock was not year. what it is now. <laughs> no. But so yeah, how did you no. get into your career? By accident. Um, got out of soccer in twenty fourteen. Just to say it. I'm out of this, I'm going to get a real job, grown-up job with benefits. I got to live my dream of being involved in sport and realised that at that point I had no retirement, no investments, had a bunch of fun, travelled all over the country, but it was time to get into corporate work. So I was looking at pharmaceutical sales jobs again, I think it was Indeed or Monster or something like that, and this Heartland job kept popping up, and I knew nothing about credit card processing, financial technology, I'm like, what? So I was just firing off resumes and this guy in Seattle, Harry Wagoner, who's still a close friend and mentor with the company now, he called me and said, hey, if you want this job, you'll drive to Seattle and sit down with me. I was like, all right. So I drove over there, sat down with him and the rest is history. I've been doing this for six years now. Um, May of, or April of last year transitioned from, I'll still do what I've always done, so local business, small business and mid-sized business. But I'm, uh, I'm working on our enterprise team now and working on major, major opportunities with huge volume, complex buy-in decisions and multiple buy-in influences. So, yeah, I went from a, a complete rookie novice, found a job by accident, gave it a, tr- a try, and it's 100% commission. So we make money off of residual income. So I've built up a good residual income now. Mm-hmm. Um, signing bonuses was how I got by in the first six months to a year. And, yeah, I don't think... It, want to do anything else now yeah. at least the entrepreneurial side of it really appeals to me and I love being connected so I had a networking lunch today and one of the coolest things about what I do is I 
I get to know every business in town basically who owns it even if I don't know them I can find somebody that does own them and connect people so I love being a connector the guy that knows a guy and that's what I do for a living oh that's interesting yeah great story so I don't know if you know this but we met because um, Kirsten was with the Better Business Bureau Kirsten, oh that's right uh, yeah but did we meet soccer somewhere too? I feel Potentially, like Potentially, yeah. You might have yelled at me when I was running tournaments or something. You might have Never. Mm. I was not <laughs> I was not that parent, trust me. Yeah, we might have met Shane might have. So I was no. No, he wasn't Maybe either. at a referee once or Maybe. twice only. <laughs> very yeah. very good behavior a couple times I might have. So <laughs> now that you say it, I never met you, but I was involved in God, I'd forgotten all about it. I purged so much of the soccer nonsense from my mind. You guys sponsored something that I was a part owner in. Spokane Shine. We oh, that's what I'm wondering. The, the, the women's yeah. soccer. Were you at a, a meeting? Um, it would have been at the hotel. Yes. That must be, yes. Out by the airport, I want to say. 100%, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's yeah. it. Like, I just, when I... Mm-hmm. So, okay, that's God, I'd a forgotten flash. about that as well. So, I bought, and you, you know Linda... Davis. Yes. I was basically bought in through Sweat Equity. They wanted to be in the soccer business, but they were a sports marketing firm. Uh, Supreme, right? That's what it was called. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But they knew nothing about soccer. One of my buddies is a really great coach, was their head coach, and they didn't. So This is a long one, but... um, (laughs) So I always explain, oh God, there's, yeah. there's two kinds of people involved in soccer. There's soccer people and there's business people. And they're like oil and water. And the business of soccer is such a unique business that there's very few people that can do both. So I'm going to blow my own trumpet here, but I was one of those that I had a unique background in the game, both in the UK and here, and brought a wealth of experience from Chicago, being involved in the professional game. and. Then I came here, was coaching at a high level, but also understood the economics and the business side of it, and they needed that. They needed somebody to put the two together. So yeah, we had Wendell on the front of those shirts, the blue and the yellow shirts, the Wendell Ford shirts, now that I remember it. Um, we have one. Shine. So mm-hmm. Somewhere. The thinking yeah, there was, there used to be, there was a guy, Al Brown was his name, and he had uh, Spokane Spiders, and it was a, a female's team, or Black Widows was the women and the Spiders was the men, go figure. Um, and he kind of fell away with it, so there was a semi-professional opportunity. I was like, sure, I'll do that. And it was a ton of fun. We, we won the division and all that stuff. But then Linda's great, but I just did, I was like, yeah, I don't want, I don't want my, my wagon hitched to you. So I'm going to, I've given you the knowledge, I've set you up, I'm just going to bow graceful. And that's what I did. But yeah, I forgot you. I you remember that. Too, is it that's the funny. And all the players and stuff were there as well, right? I do not remember that. I just remember being in a meeting room, and I remember it getting... (laughs) A little heated? Yeah, and just feeling a little out of my comfort zone. Um, (laughs) So I was kind of the performer. I can't remember what year that was. That was 2012, 2013. Okay. Yeah. It was right before you were getting out. Because I remember having... Colby, but that would be, that wouldn't Maybe 2011, 2012. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I was a performing monkey. I had the accent, so we were like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. Listen to him. And they would all sit back, and I'm like, well, what are we talking about? And then, so, well, we have this problem, and I'm like, okay. And I mean, there was one point where I was liaising with the Parks and Rec Department, um, 
some pizza joint that sponsored us. There was a Caesars franchise, and he, Brent, he ended up being part of the organisation as well. I think they just offered ownership to everybody. Like, you can be part of this, and it's going to be huge. And it was never huge. <laughs> yeah, but then we got in on the spot on the soccer sponsorship side with because uh, mm -hmm. we were doing the Joe Alvey the, oh, the, the right. soccer fields, the baseball fields. So it was the mm -hmm. park. It was the same thing. It was and the Supreme park. Was managing that. Yeah. Supreme, yeah, Supreme Sports right. was managing all that. Mm. Huh, yeah. interesting. But then when I actually remembered meeting, even though it wasn't the first time, that's right. Better Business Bureau. Yeah, Better Business Bureau. She put together a panel of. I can't even remember who it was on it, but you and I were there and we met down at the Grand just after that opened. Yeah, that was fun. And Spokane also, um, <laughs> I cannot think of her name right now, but Mainstream Electric, wasn't she there? Cause I think that was the first time. I just met their administrator. Mainstream Electric? Yeah, that's she, funny. Again, uh, Spokane's so small. I think that's who... Anyways, that, I thought that was... Um, I enjoyed meeting mm -hmm. you. I, like um, The folks I met at that event, I... It was a great networking opportunity. And, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Spokane's well, got a few of those that are I still have a great relationship with the BBB. So now it's a guy called Tyler that runs it. Um, I don't does think. Kirsten's job, and he's wonderful as well. We play golf together. How neat. Yeah. Golf is a good sport. That's that's an organization that kind of lost its way for a minute, though, the Better Business Bureau. And I, I don't think it was. He was on the board for three weeks. A day. Three days. They changed. Oh. I became they a new board member, did yeah. all that good stuff, got the, the, the indoctrination, you know, or the, mm -hmm. the board inauguration yeah. thing. Um, Onboarding process or whatever. Yeah. A couple, two, three meetings, and then it was the. The Duval, the Boise, everybody merging, and so then the leadership <laughs> the of BBB were gone. Oh, wow! I mean, the gal that was running the Spokane one, I loved her. She was fantastic. I can't yeah. think of her name all of a sudden, uh, but yeah. she didn't get the job of when they merged, which was really interesting because the presidents of all the BBBs were the ones putting this deal together. <laughs> it's like knowing that only for one your... of them was going to be in employed with the BBB at the end. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Just so trust the, and hope. The CEO, I played golf with him. I want to say his name's Tyler as well. I played golf with him last year when he was in town. Um, I'm trying to remember his name. Yeah, look him up later. Yeah, People don't really know. They lost their way, not necessarily because I love the concept of the Better Business Bureau. They just didn't embrace technology early enough and then Yelp took over. And there's no arbitration process. Well, and you got to pay to play type thing too. With well, them. there's a little bit of that, but with Yelp, once it's on there, it's on there. You can't get it off of Yelp. It's easier to get an audience with a Pope than get a bad review off of um, Yelp. Whereas the Better Business Bureau will arbitrate and bring you in, and you can talk through it. Mm -hmm. They post whether there's resolution or not, but nobody knows that. It's like yeah. uh, I struggle with yeah Yelp and. I I mean, even sure. Google, when you, when folks can give you a review and you don't know their name and yeah. you can't, mm -hmm. you know, we, we respond, we'd like more information, can you please call us, We, you know, like, and sometimes you're just helpless, like, you can't do anything if they don't contact you and you get a name or something to work with, and, yeah. um, and then we've had, like, um, an ex mad at their, you oh, know, yeah. significant other and just blast us all over online with not... The most accurate information and uh, the most but accurate you can't, information. That's where we need government regulation is in the online. Seriously, yeah. You can't online. do anything about those reviews. You're stuck with them. Well, everybody's so brave behind their smartphone too. Yeah, that's a whole podcast in and of itself. Yeah, that that mm -hmm. anonymity online, like there has to be whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Google, there has to be some kind of um, verification process that mm -hmm. if you don't at least have your full name and verify it, 
then you don't get to leave a review. You don't get yeah. to well to letters to the voice. editor in the ancient yeah. days with the newspaper, right? If you wrote a letter to the editor, you had to have a mailing address, you had to have phone a phone number, number, and they verified all that before they they print your, your name, letter to the editor. Yeah. But then the flip yeah. side of that is all your all your conspiracy theorists are going to be like, I don't want them to know who I am or where I am. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> so they're gonna come after me. It's like yeah. they caught me. Well, yeah. it's one or the other. People already think the Coles are associated with the mafia. That's all they need is to like, yeah, have the letters of the editor. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think on uh, the electric vehicle or the gas engines going? I don't know enough. I mean, conceptually, it seems like it's a good idea, right? It's like, oh, yeah, sure, for environmental impact. Mm -hmm. So I think it makes sense. A lot like recycling. So, recycling drives me bonkers. You can put this bottle in the trash, but you can't put the plastic lid on the bottle in the the, the recycle bin, right? And I'm like, why the hell are we making a bottle that doesn't have a recyclable lid, first and foremost? So, when I put that into the car space, I've been saying for years that. Uh, they don't have the range, right? But now these new Teslas, I mean, they're talking four or five hundred miles mm-hmm. now. I listened to Elon Musk on Joe Rogan a few weeks ago. And, I mean, what he's done for that industry alone, what Tesla's done, is phenomenal. And I love the concept, but to your point, I want to know how sustainable it is, right? So if everybody in California buys a Tesla, they already have rolling blackouts when it gets too hot, right? Yeah. We saw what happened in Texas last year. Um, so I think the hybrid model is probably the way to go. Fully electric is great for in town, but then then you've got to think about, well, trucks and things like that. Can they be electric? Can we generate the amount of power needed to, to transport things? Well, supposedly they can. And then when you look at even windmills and renewable energy, a lot of time we're so focused on the... So this is... Uh, do you guys know who Jordan Peterson is? He's a he's a thought leader, he's a Canadian guy. But he always talks about, we focus on the equality of outcome when it comes to social issues. Well, we can do the same thing with this, the, the, the whole carbon neutral thing. That's a crock of bad word, right? I'm not gonna swear, I haven't sworn this podcast yet. <laughs> um, but that's, a, that's an absolute crock because like Germany remain carbon neutral by using trees from other countries instead of trees from their country, right? So they're like, well, we're carbon neutral. And it's the same with, like, windmills. Like, what goes into making a windmill to create a really non-reliable energy source? And I think electric cars are kind of like that. If everybody plugs an electric car in at the same time, the whole grid across the country goes down. So there's a lot of work to be done before it's fully feasible. And In theory, it's nice. Yeah. I don't think it's the answer. I think it's a step of an evolution to getting cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you look at you look at tape deck to CD to micro CD to MP3 players and like the evolution of the time. <laughs> it's like when you always think that like oh CDs are this next, but then it's like a what? You left out a CD, VHS, yeah, VHS. You left out all those VHS is it? That's not audio. That's visual. So I'll tell you on the the thing that's interesting on alternate energy for to power vehicles that I think is is boggling. When I graduated from college in 1992, uh, fraternity brother of mine graduated also, same time, chemical engineer. Hmm. His first job out of college was with, with uh, BOC gases. His first assignment in 1993 was he was in Canada uh, building hydrogen generation plants to fuel the cars 
for the upcoming Winter Olympics, which I don't know what year that would have been, a couple years after that, and all the cars that were in Canada were Fords, that Olympic, or the, they were the sponsor, mm -hmm. they were all hydrogen-powered cars, hmm. plugging in or filling up a hydrogen stations, yet we've never had a hydrogen car. We can make hydrogen out of the air. Yeah. Water. That's interesting. Yeah. So I love the concept of hydrogen. It's just... The harnessing of the power, I guess. It's so unstable. You know, when I see people driving now and knowing that they're driving around in some super combustible beyond what gasoline is, like... Yeah. <laughs> it's like driving a Pinto. Yeah. You, you need a special license to drive a hydrogen car. <laughs> okay. Well, I need to wrap up because I got a four o'clock on the north side. Oh, no. So, sorry. Yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I'll, I'll leave you with... I saw a picture of a Tesla... Okay, it's parked on the side of the road, and there's a generator behind the Tesla, and they have their Tesla parked into the generator, and the generator running to charge their Tesla, right? Perfect. So it's like, that's the type of thing. Should be my Facebook profile Okay, leave us with three tips for for buying a car. For I'm coming buying in and buying a, a new car. If I'm the buyer, what should I look for? What are three things that I don't know that I should look for when buying a new or used new car? new or used. Either one. I think first is you need to assess... Truly assess your budget. You know okay. what I mean? Know yeah. what you can spend. Um, second would be... Well, if it's a used vehicle, I would want to know how it was maintained. Service uh, records. So you can, yeah, Carfax or, you know, service history report, which most, especially new car dealers, offer that right on mm -hmm. the website. Everyone will do that, yeah. um, and I think do your research on your dealer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's critical. Even though it's a big purchase, you you have to. And I tell people, I used to race motorcycles, dirt bikes, right? You yeah, yeah. And Return people say, property. well, why? I want to buy a dirt bike. What would I buy? And and I think this goes through the cars too. Is that well, they all perform reasonably the same. So if you get a compact sport utility, no matter what brand you buy right now, they're all going to perform generally the same. They all make good products. So a big factor is you have to find a dealer that's convenient and one that you're comfortable going to and you have some sort of a connection or a relationship mm -hmm. with somebody or trust or something there because you're going to spend some time there we gonna, have good dealerships i think it's well, lo our local yeah crew mm -hmm. that's still left yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's not the many of us i mean spokane is one of the only cities in the state that has a city uh new car dealers association yeah really yeah which and is pretty much just the local dealers like that that and, yeah we, we got a good yeah good yeah. group so i would say budget uh, vehicle history if it's used, dealership, whether that's yeah, review sure. sites or just going in and, and seeing what's, you know. But well, I think that's probably a really is. good piece of advice that people wouldn't think about too, is like the dealership, right? What's the reputation of the dealership? Is it a fly-by-night little place on division that doesn't care about service on their vehicles and wants to turn and burn them, or is it... Well, and you guys have bought enough vehicles to know when you walk in and, and to a dealership, whether it's ours or somebody else's, and you meet with the salesperson, you know in the first few minutes if that's the place you want to do business. Right? I always say they have commission's breath. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's like, can you smell it on their breath? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if they're not providing you some sort of service, then yeah. you can okay. go. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It fun. was an honor. Yeah. We enjoy these conversations, Yeah. even when we go off on the tangents. So uh, thank you guys for listening. Rate, review, share, visit. Wendell Ford on all the social medias and websites. If you're and Nissan, sorry, Ford and Nissan. Um, in Hyundai of Yakima. Yeah. We didn't even talk about that Hyundai. much.
Sorry. I knew about it. I just <laughs> didn't know it. That's a public public. Yeah. Well, thank you um, for having us. That no, was, thanks for coming And in. I'm going to listen to more. I, Indulging our I, questions. Oh, my gosh. I love them. You guys do such a great job. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. And I'm not so. an iPhone guy, so I have to listen on my computer. And I was telling Chris, and I get cut off almost everyone I'm going to listen to it about 20 minutes. What so is that? Huh? I don't know. I just Googled it and found it. And it, it lists all the different. Yeah. And there's apps on your phone. Stitcher, Google Play. We're on Google. So okay. if you've got yeah. Android, you can listen on there. I don't know why. It must be something You've never inside. listened to podcasts? No. Oh. <laughs> I have Audible. Oh, boy. I buy the book. And oh, play it in the I car. do that, too. There's podcasts on Audible now, as well. Is there? Is on there. But yeah. I like it. I'm so a rocker. I listen to music. <laughs> <laughs> Headbanging show. All right. And you guys be good to yourselves. And until the next... Oh, sorry. Wow. Wow. I'm all frazzled. You do it. Go. I can't now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what is it? Until the next time, be good to yourselves and to each other. There you go. That's his line. Boom. <laughs>